Faith Factor Impact, episode number seven. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Faith Factor Impact, where we hang out with today's top nonprofit thought leaders to get refueled, reconnected and inspiration. So let's go. It's easy in those valley moments to feel frozen. It's easy to feel uh, upset. But embracing the opportunity to have a difficult conversation in that case can make all the difference. Hello, Impact listeners, Jay Everline here, your host, and I am fired up to present to you today our featured guest, Brian Garcellis. Brian, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Brian Garcellis is the program director with New Sector Alliance, a nonprofit organization focused on building talent for the social sector. In his role, Brian is responsible for national recruiting and partnership development strategy. He has worked with the likes of U.S. State Senator Amy Globachar and has a clear passion for developing the next generation of nonprofit leaders. When he's not hard at work with New Sector Alliance, he is sharing his wisdom as a featured conference speaker and guest blogger. Brian is a top-notch thought leader who's doing work that matters and making an impact. So, Brian, I've shared just a brief description of you. Can you take about 10 seconds? Just met you at the local coffee shop uh, there in Minneapolis. Take a moment and tell us a little bit about you personally. Yeah, definitely. Well, again, thank you so much for for having me on. What I would say if I was in a coffee shop is that um, I'm responsible for coaching and mentoring um, social impact leaders. And that's uh, been my passion throughout my career path, starting um, with coaching a high school debate team, uh, running an internship program for a U.S. Senator, and now uh, at New Sector. Awesome, man. Thank you. So, Brian, you've had an interesting journey. You've talked a little bit about it uh, just a second there in, in your in your opening. Uh, but before we get into your story, we always start the show off with the reflection. And you shared this with me in the pre-show interview, and I'm just so excited for folks to hear it. So why don't you take it away? Definitely. So in in my role at New Center, I've had the pleasure with getting to work uh, with mentors around the country who are matched with our fellows, and and I often get to hear bits of wisdom that they share with our fellows. And my favorite um, piece of wisdom was a mentor who said that success will be measured on the number of difficult conversations you are willing to have. Uh, Now, that stuck with me uh, throughout my work. I often think about that. Um, piece of wisdom. Um, you know, every day we're presented with challenges. We're presented with with things that can be difficult, and we can either embrace that and and have the difficult conversation, or we can shy away from it. And overwhelmingly, uh, when I or when I see people embrace having that difficult conversation, what happens is clearer communication uh, and ultimately more impact. And so, uh, I just think it's it's a, an amazing piece of advice, an amazing piece of wisdom, and something that I often think about. You know, I really like that. And and one of the books that uh, I'll just mention here that your quote uh, reminded me of was the book called Crucial Conversations. Maybe you've read it, but man, that book kind of resonates exactly with what you said, right? And so thank you for sharing that. And folks, if you haven't yet gotten the courage to have those difficult conversations, please, please listen to Brian. Uh, he shared a nugget with you that could uh, help you. Uh, so so do that. So Brian, you've, you've had an interesting journey and um, you are now uh, program director there uh, where you are with New Sector. But talk a little bit about your journey and the steps you took to get to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. So I love this opportunity to, to share my story. And, and one thing I'll say is, 
the way that I share my story has really changed in the last few months because what I've, I've seen overwhelmingly is that folks who are especially early in their career see folks and read bios and imagine that what they're looking at is people who just had stars aligned and everything was perfect along their journey. And I think it's important to say that's not always how it goes and, and not everybody uh, always has a very clear-cut path in mind when they start. So I, um, I started my career first as a debate coach and, and then uh, getting, having a degree in political science and Spanish, thought working for a U.S. senator, doing some Latino outreach would be really the ideal role. Uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I had fun. It wasn't my passion. I didn't want to be in politics. Um, had the opportunity to move to San Francisco uh, when my wife, uh, who's a modern dancer, had the opportunity to dance professionally. And so I moved from San Francisco or from Minneapolis to San Francisco, did a job search, ultimately found uh, Jumpstart, which is an early career or sorry, which is uh, an early literacy organization, uh, a nonprofit early literacy organization. I was fired up, ready to go, really excited. Uh, and four months into the role, was told that uh, the CEO was leaving the organization, and uh, that would mean that my uh, role was going to disappear, that a number of other roles were going to disappear, and there was going to be no opportunity to find a different role in the organization, which is a really challenging point. And, and it really took that for me to reflect on what I liked doing and what I wanted to be doing. And my reflection said, I'm good and want to be doing coaching and mentoring. That's why I was a debate coach. That's why I ran an internship program in Senator Klobuchar's office. And that ultimately led me to New Sector, where I started directing debate area programs, um, had the opportunity to move back to my home state of Minnesota and launch the program here in Minnesota, uh, and now I'm working as the national program director. So the, I think the, the takeaway in that story is it's important to reflect, it's important to understand what you're good at, and to think about that. And it's okay if there are pumps along the way, and it's okay if you don't get it right the first time. Uh, but it's important to think about what you like doing and what will make you happy and where you can have impact. Man, Brian, I, I want to dive into that so bad, but this segues so well into my next question for you. And you kind of st- teed it up here. You know, I, I think you, what you mentioned was that, you know, people think the road is is straight and all the stars are lined. And, you know, you can be seen as kind of sort of a superhero to, to folks that are <laughs> particularly starting up. But, you know, you and I know along the way, while you have had some success, there are what we call some valley moments. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the one challenging valley moment and maybe it's the one you just shared but and if that's the case dig into that a little bit more and tell us what you learned uh what was that like what were you feeling in that moment take us there Mm -hmm. absolutely so i I will dive a little bit more into into losing my my uh, job when i was in san francisco so you imagine you know uh, my wife and i moving from minnesota which was familiar we had family we had friends uh to a place uh, we, ha- we I actually was fortunate. I have um, some family in San Francisco, um, but we didn't have the same type of support network that we had in Minnesota. And I uh, was fortunate to find a job with Jumpstart, was really excited. Uh, and having that news that I was about to lose my job, I felt blindsided. Uh, I, I, was, I felt alone. I felt unsure. I felt frozen. Ask myself, is this the sector I'm supposed to be in? You know, I was successful uh, in, in a government office. Am I supposed to go there? 
do I stop on the social impact path? What What is for me? And it, it really, it was hard. There was a moment there that felt like I was I was alone and, and really frozen. I think, you know, what's important, though, is I talked a little bit about having those difficult conversations, and, and this is a perfect example of where having a difficult conversation really mattered. Um, you know, my initial reaction, um, there was some anger. There was some anger that I had uh, accepted a role at an organization and, and that uh, someone else's decision ultimately was going to impact my career path. And, and what I chose to do is instead of being angry about that, to acknowledge that this was a difficult decision for the CEO to step away. It was tough. Mm-hmm. The CEO had been there for a long time, was trying to think about his personal health and and also the health of the organization. And, and what I did was had a conversation with him where I said, congratulations, because it's a tough decision. And obviously, it's the right one. If, you're, if you have made this decision um, after the amount of time that you've been there, I know you put a lot of thought into it, and, and congratulations, and, and hope that your next steps go well. And ultimately, that conversation opened the door to being able to be honest with each other about how difficult that, convert, that, that decision was and, and how he understood that it impacted other people. And he was the person that introduced me to New Sector and ultimately launched the what, what is my, my nonprofit career. And I think that... You know, it's easy in those valley moments to feel frozen. It's easy to feel uh, upset. But embracing the opportunity to have a difficult conversation in that case can make all the difference. Love that. Guys, here, listen really closely. These are real emotions and they are normal, right? Alone, unsure, frozen. Along the journey, these are emotions we all at some point run into. And what Brian is is sharing with us today is if you can work through those things, have difficult conversations with others where that makes sense. And even with yourself, I mean, I, I heard there was kind of a moment of, of reckoning that you had with yourself personally. And, and those things can, can free you to, to kind of move into the next phase of your life. Thank you for being vulnerable, Brian, and sharing that with us. So I want to move into what we call our impact leadership round. And you spent a lot of time uh, working with folks and talking about leadership and career growth and all of those kind of things. And so some have the opinion that it can be more difficult to run and lead inside a nonprofit organization than, say, a corporation. What's your perspective on that? My perspective is that any organization that considers social impact when they make decisions is inevitably going to be more challenging than an organization that doesn't. Mm-hmm. So that could be a nonprofit. It could be uh, a for-profit organization that thinks a lot about impact and, and has that you know, written into um, their bylaws or, or their mission statement. And so I think about New Sector, and, and certainly we think about how we operate as an organization and make sure that financially we're stable, mm-hmm. which is one bottom line, but we're also thinking about the greater impact that we're having on the world, which is the second bottom line, and other organizations also think about what is their environmental impact, which becomes a third bottom line. And every time you add something else you need to consider when you make decisions, it's inevitably going to be more complex and more difficult. So I can't say for sure <laughs> that it's, uh, it's harder, um, but I will say that when you're considering social impact on top of how do we make sound financial decisions for the organization, it's going to be tough. I like that. Well, Brian, when I talk to successful leaders like yourself, there's often this defining moment or story along your leadership journey that really sticks out and really defines what has shaped 
you. What would you say the greatest influence has been on your leadership style? Hmm. You know, so so for me, it's less about a story and it's more about interacting with people and seeing people that have tremendous amount of respect in an organization that people are drawn to. And to me, when my story of going to Senator Klobuchar's office was was actually starting as an intern. And my then intern coordinator was this person who was just unflappable and, and just tremendously optimistic and could be having, uh, you know, one of those days that just seems like things just aren't going right. And he would approach the situations with optimism and with humor. And to me, uh, that's what I want to do. I want work to be grounded in optimism. I want my perspective to be, to be optimistic. I think about – I'm a huge sports fan also, and if anyone uh, was watching baseball and watched the Cubs from 1908, still not win a World Series uh, and lose again this year, um, their their manager, Joe Madden, said, lose heart for 30 minutes. Yeah. And I think that quote is amazing mm-hmm. to think to say, you know what, Th- things are difficult, and this is sports, which is not reality, and it's not as, as tough as, as everyday life can be, but – we should be allowed to process and be frustrated. But after 30 minutes, we have to find a time where we get back up and we approach the world again with optimism and mm-hmm. with humor so that we can continue to lead and continue to do that good work. Man, the the cup half full perspective. I mean, I... I uh, subscribe to that myself. There's so many reasons why you, you know, it takes a lot of energy, uh, by the way, to, to to look at life with the cup half empty. Um, and so I, I really like that perspective and, and the fact that you are gleaning from all of the, the interactions that you have to, to really shape your, your leadership style and approach. So so here on, on Faith Factor Impact, we believe that effective leadership can be the difference between an organization surviving or thriving. And so towards that end, what do you see as, as effective leadership? What does that mean to you, and what do you think separates good leaders from great leaders? Definitely. Uh, well, I love that perspective. Uh, you know, we are always thinking about, and, and what we believe at New Center is that it's all about talent. It's all about taking care of talent. It's all always about leadership, and that it doesn't matter if you have a great idea, if you don't have a great leader, that idea is never going to come to, to fruition. It's never going to thrive. Um, to me, it all stems from, from love. It stems from great leaders, not just loving what they do, but loving who they are working with and being invested in their success. And it's not enough to just be focused on the mission. It's not enough to be uh, you know, getting people fired up about your cause. You have to invest in other people, and you have to genuinely care about their success. And when that happens, people are drawn to you. I saw that from the internship coordinator that brought me on um, and, and the, his investment in me and his care and his genuine care for me. Um, and it's something that I try to emulate. Man, Brian, I don't know that I've had anyone on the show yet that used the term love when they talked about effective leadership. But that is awesome. I mean, so here's what I heard. Love what they do and love the people they work with. I mean, I don't know, man. I can't add anything to that. That's pretty that's pretty freaking good. Um, so so let's let's kind of get into some quick responses here. Yep. Name the top two skills you believe are needed to be successful as a nonprofit leader. Definitely. Uh, I'll try to be quick. But what I'll say is that the workforce is changing. And if you look at the numbers, 
by 2020, about 75% of our workforce is going to be uh, from the millennial generation, which is both the most diverse and the most educated generation in our history. And we're seeing that millennials want to be involved in decision-making, and I think that we need to take their perspective seriously. So to do that, my two skills are going to be soft skills. Number one, a willingness to embrace new ideas, and number two, being comfortable with ambiguity and understanding that you may not get the decision that you thought was going to happen. Mm. Share one or two tactics you have used to attract top performers to join uh, you and your organization or your team or partner with you. Yes. Number one is um, let those folks who are your advocates, who are your champions, um, be your spokespeople. So that could be your volunteers. That could be people in your program who are now alums. That can even be people who used to be staff who are still invested in the organization. Let them be the mouthpiece. And the second is you have to be creative about where you go. The organizations all the time will ask me about how do you get different voices in the room, and my answer is you have to look outside of your own social circles. So if you want people who aren't from Minnesota, there are affinity groups in Minnesota for people who are not from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Do your research and go there and present. It's not enough just to go through the common channels. You have to be creative and you have to be looking for other voices. Love it. So I want to shift just slightly here and, and I want to get in what we call our genius zone. So, Brian, there's a lot of research out there about us operating in our area of strength to get the greatest results. And, you know, we just believe here that that every individual has what we call a genius level talent. And so tell us, what do you see as your genius level talent or strength and how do you manage to focus on that area uh, day in and day out? Definitely. Uh, So I'd love it, even though I'm a little bit uncomfortable with using the word genius, so I'll embrace it (laughs) for the sake of the show. Um, So for me, I've always been able to um, see the forest through the trees. So being able to see the big picture, being able to cut through information that either isn't necessary or is getting in the way. I use that approach when I coach fellows. I use that approach when I try to make decisions to say, um, let's, let's, you know, think about it, but not make this overly complex. We can cut through this and we can see the bigger picture. So, so I try to do that consistently when I'm working with, uh, with the, the participants in the program as well as with the staff. That's good. Brian, you sound like a guy that's completely on fire and, and probably always blazing with a lot of energy. But I've got a question <laughs> for you. What, what do you struggle with the most? Yeah. So my struggles, uh, I would say, are, are – uh, twofold. So one would be the opposite of that, when there are tons of details sort of bogging me down and feeling like it's getting in the way of the big picture. Um, and second is, is I find it tough uh, when you're trying to be optimistic and there are situations and, and attitudes that start to pull you a- away from that optimism. So I always try to get back to that place of being optimistic. It can be tough, though, when, when you run into situations where, you know, people are not seeing the glass of that pole. That's mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I'm sure you're, you've got some company that could resonate with that. So good stuff. So let's kind of uh, take it here. And I'm really excited about this uh, part of the show because um, you are the guy to talk about this in terms of what you do, I think, every day. So so there's a lot of needs in our communities. And, you know, Brian, what I want to ask you is, is you're responsible for partnership development, if I partnership strategy. Mm-hmm. And so yep. talk to me about some of the things that you guys are doing right now in your community that most excites you. Definitely. 
So for me, the partnerships that get really exciting is when you can start to say, where are there organizations that are starting to do leadership development that we can tap into uh, and, and figure out how to work together with? So a couple of, of really exciting sort of ends of that leadership spectrum. Here in the Twin Cities, we did a partnership with something called the Shannon Institute. And the Shannon Institute is taking executive directors from all around the country to go through sessions where they're thinking about their values, where they're thinking about purpose, and making sure that what they're doing is aligning with that values and purpose. Really tremendously important work. And our partnership has been how do you take that content and bring it to new sector to apply to early career leaders? Really, really neat stuff. The other um, piece would be when I'm looking for, I talk about recruiting strategy and creating partnerships with organizations that are already seeing very early career leaders and how do we create a partnership with them so that that leadership pipeline comes into us and then they move on to other additional opportunities. So I think about organizations like Breakthrough Collaborative where they have all of these dedicated and brilliant college students that are taking time to do teaching and, uh, and coming out of that experience, knowing that they want social impact work, coming out a stronger leader and figuring out how do we take that energy and harness it and give them the, the tools to be more successful later on. Mm. You know, Brian, the, the one question that I keep coming back to in terms of your experience and what you do every day is like, there are probably a lot of folks that see you, your organization, and they want to partner with you. Um, do you ever yep. run into a situation where you're like, you know, this is just not the right fit. It's not the right partnership. And if so, mm-hmm. you know, like, what what is that like? And how do you filter um, who you partner with and who you don't? Yeah, definitely. It's a great question. And it's a question that organizations run into all the time. So we've had a number of organizations that want to partner with New Sector to do projects that um, we don't see as having the type of community impact that we want to see. So our summer program, our our 11-month program, we work exclusively uh, with nonprofits. The summer program, we have opened the door to say, what happens if we work with organizations that have a social mission but maybe don't have the nonprofit status? And one of the issues that has arisen is you have organizations that say, wow, you have really great talent. We would love to access that. Mm. And the question that we always have to ask is, oh, wait a minute, is the organization that we would be potentially partnering with actually going to deliver the kind of community impact, the kind of social impact that we want? It's a tough question. It's a question, again, you know, you go back to single bottom line versus double bottom line. Mm. And for us, we always have to think about the social impact uh, in addition to making sure that the organization is financially stable. And sometimes you have to make decisions that are worse for the financial stability of the organization, but better for the impact. Man, talk about focus and being committed to, to the cause. I, I I love that. I love that. It's probably why you guys have been, or likely, not probably likely, the, the reason <laughs> you've been so successful. So this is this kind of segues really well into my next question for you, and and that how how do you measure impact? How do you how do you quantify that? What do you what data points do you use to to really uh, validate the the impact that you're having? Yeah, definitely. So what we are seeing uh, more and more is that folks are saying that the nonprofit leadership deficit is going to have tremendous impact on our ability to get things done and to have impact. There was actually just an article this week in the the Stanford Social Innovation Review called the Nonprofit Leadership Development Deficit, long long title there, but uh, talking about 
what that's going to do for uh, the community and the ability for organizations to make an impact. So what we are measuring is how long do people stay in the sector uh, now and how long are our alums staying in the sector and what kind of impact are they having? How fast are they moving up the ladder? How much impact are they having on their community? And that data can then say, this is the number, this is the amount of dollars we're saving organizations. This is the number of people we are saving in the sector um, to be able to show that we are changing the trajectory of that leadership deficit. Man, that's good stuff. Talk, talk to me about this impact thing, though, because I, I'm, I'm really digging that. Can you can you kind of do a deeper dive into that impact equation? Like you, you talked mm-hmm. a little bit about some of the measures, but you've kind of said a couple of times, you know, social impact or you having an impact. What is what does that look like? Is it can you, can you talk more about that? Definitely. So what we think about is folks who are early on in their career that come into the sector that make a decision that they are going to work and they are going to be a nonprofit leader are going to face a number of barriers to actually staying in the sector. So this, in the nonprofit sector, it's harder uh, oftentimes to see a career path. It's often harder to get access to talent and leadership development. And what we are seeing is huge percentages of people who come into the, to the nonprofit sector leaving the sector within five years. So if they leave within five years, what that does to an organization is they have to spend actual dollars finding new talent, actual dollars um, training new talent, and if there's no pipeline, suddenly that organization may end up having to shut its doors because there's no one to be the executive director. There's no one to be the program director. So what we are, are trying to prove is that people who go through our program who get access to mentorship and training and can clearly see what their career path can look like will stay in the sector. That saves organizations real dollars from having to do the type of recruitment and training when there is turnover. So if people stay in the sector and stay at their organizations longer, then those organizations don't have to pay to find and train new staff. That's good. So, folks, listen up. What you've got to figure out is – what are those points where you can not necessarily complicate it? It doesn't have to be complex. You don't have uh, to know C++ to, to, to get some data, but get some kind of data that demonstrates the effectiveness that your organization is having on the community, on your constituents, and use that to share your story and extend your reach. So, Brian, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Really good stuff. Yeah. And I love that, that, that comment that, you, you know, you don't need to be a measurement expert to be able to do this. For us, all we have to do is survey our alums. You know, from five years ago, if we survey our alums to find out what they're doing now, we can compare that with articles that are saying this is the percentage of people that leave their organization within five years. And we can prove our percentage is way higher of people who are staying in the sector and staying at their job. Yeah, makes complete sense. Folks, don't worry. I know you may be asking the question, hey, how do I get access to that article? We will make sure that it's on the show notes page. No worry. We'll we'll take care of that for you. Okay, so, Brian, I want to get into what we call our ultimate faith factor question. Um, mm-hmm. How has faith shaped your success in the work you do? Definitely. So uh, for me, faith is about a belief that all of us have common and uncommon experiences, that we're all people, and that we need to have love and have compassion for one another. Um, the thing that stuck out for me from, from the very beginning when we had contact was a conversation that I had with the religious leader when uh, we were having coffee, and he told me 
uh, about the parable of the elephant in the dark room. Mm -hmm. So essentially, he says there's a group of people that are tasked with going into a dark room where they can't see, feeling what's inside and reporting what it is. And they go inside and there's an elephant, but they're all in different areas of the elephant. So some people are feeling the tusks, some folks are feeling the feet, some are feeling the tail, and when they come out, they all have completely different reactions to what they saw because they saw the elephant from a different vantage point or they felt it from a a different vantage point. And and the point of um, this religious leader telling me this story was that everyone had a truth in that. And what we need to have is love and understanding that what we see may not be the full picture and that there is still truth in what we're seeing. And so for me, um, that's always rung true in everything that I've done is trying to understand that people and their perspective is the truth, and we need to have love and compassion for that. And, and that, that to me is about the faith that we are all interconnected, that we are all in this together, whether or not we see the exact same thing. Mm, good stuff. Good stuff. Before we before we close out, I have a few final questions for you. If you could talk to your younger self, little Brian, and give yourself a piece <laughs> of advice, what what would you tell him? Definitely. I love this question. I love this question because I ask other people and it's so challenging for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think for me, you know, I'm really content with where I am and I know that my mistakes brought me here and that it's the encompassing of both the things I did well and the things that I made mistakes on. So what I tell my my little self is you can't control everything. You're going to make mistakes. There are going to be challenges and that's okay because you are going, all of that stuff is going to shape you. Mm. Brian, share one book you've read that has a lasting impact on the way you approach your work. Yeah. To me, this goes back to the genius question that you asked. It's Outliners by Malcolm Gladwell. So in that book, he talks about um, you know, when you look at outliers as people that we call uh, geniuses or people that we say, you know, we're truly exceptional, that those are folks that really put their work, that focus their work on what they were good at. Um, there's real humanization in that, and there's real power in that to say we can all have that, we can all be geniuses. I think that's, that's, uh, that's beautiful. Share one tip or action our listeners can take to make an impact, say, in the next one to two weeks. Definitely. So this goes back to my my initial reflection, which is uh, we constantly have opportunities to have a tougher conversation. Do it. When you're approached with a challenge, when you're approached with a a difficult situation and you really don't want to have the conversation, embrace it and have the conversation. Get her done. So, Brian, before we go, where can we find out more about you and the work you do? Definitely. Our website is www.newsector.org. Um, we are accepting applications for our fellowship program and constantly looking for, for new partners. We'd love to have folks um, take a look and, and reach out with questions. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It has been a blast to, to have you here. Thank you. Really, really my pleasure. Awesome. Hey, folks, the difference between the you now and the you later are the people you meet and the books you read. And you've been listening to Brian Garcellis and Jay Everline. When you have a moment, head over to faithfactorimpact.com where you can access the show notes page for this episode and all the links and resources mentioned during the interview. We're so excited that you've decided to join us today. And as always, until next time, let's go make an impact.